Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the Roman's Empire podcast, where we bring you an episode after one of the most emotional weeks uh, we've ever experienced as Chelsea fans, um, but hopefully a week that won't get any more emotional than it needs to be. Um, so here to talk about it with me uh, is Sam, as always, and uh, our my other trusty co-host, Andres. So boys... I mean, I, I use the word emotional. There's 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 more explicit words that you can use to describe <laughs> the way we feel about the last. I mean, you know, week last, or so. I mean, the last so. two matches. You know, it's a unconvincing win against a ten men Fulham team, followed by you know, a, a basically a thrashing by Leicester, where we didn't have like even a five minute span where we looked like the better team. Uh, so I think any other reaction than uh, emotional at this point, I'd be a little bit concerned <laughs> for so you. Maybe not, emo- maybe not emotional, but maybe shite. Huh? No, I'm <laughs> saying you should be. You should be emotional. Should be emotional. If you're yeah. not, yeah, I'm saying if you're not emotional, then there's something wrong with you because uh, this is a very, very delicate point in our season. Obviously, right now we're sitting what in ninth place. After mm-hmm. being uh, in in first for like 24 hours, albeit, West but Ham, still, I think I think we're in eighth, and West Ham leapfrogged us. Yeah, because they beat West Brom, the battle yep. of the the battle of the West, um, right before that. So <laughs> that was Andreas's joke, by the way. I I stole that from him, but it's just you know this is definitely the most uh, trying time that of the past two seasons. You know, I mean, we there's been a, b- a bunch of teams uh, throughout the Premier League that have had troubles with their manager, and it seemed like they were on their last day, and then, you know, they had a couple results in a row and saved their job. But with Frank, like, I don't know how many other – I don't know if he's going to have another opportunity after these two. Com- to be completely honest, I'd, I thought he'd be sacked by the end of the day, but – uh, so maybe he wants to go. Uh, but before you before you go in, Zach, uh, yeah. I want to hear from Andreas first because we haven't heard his voice yet. What's up, Andreas? How are you doing? <laughs> well, <laughs> Bad. um, much of the same. I mean, it just sucks. The whole situation sucks. None of us wanted to be here. No Chelsea fan wants to consider that Lampard is not going to be here long term. But here we are. Zach, is there something you, something you wanted to say before I cut you off? Sorry. No, I mean, I, I did want to open the pod with uh, with this little uh, thing that Kirill's Medvedev, our good friend on Twitter, sent us. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and read it because I think and, – and just to kind of preface what I'm about to read, this is, this is hitting the point that I think we all want to kind of get across in this podcast because we are going to criticize Frank. We are going to criticize the players. um, And we're going to have some not not so nice things to say about both. But at the same time, just like Andres said, I guess the simplest way we could put it is this is exactly what none of us wanted. So just to kind of put that out there. But I think Kirill's summed it up even better. He says, some thoughts. We know how important the results are to the owner of the club. And we know that he's not afraid to hire or sack any manager, big name or small, legend or no name. We know that. And we know what is likely to happen here. That's Roman's job, and he's ruthless about it. 
Just please remember that our job as fans remains to support the club, including every player and every staff member. At least that's the way I see it. It's a great shame that so many have turned on one of our own and did so in an extremely toxic manner. So, <laughs> honestly, couldn't have said it any better myself. So shout out to Kirill's for, for, for sending that to us because I think there's no better way to start this podcast. We're going to say some things that, that are going to sound harsh. It's going to be uncomfortable. Um, but there are some conversations that need to be had. Right, Andres? Yeah. Look, uh, uh-huh, go ahead. I just, I just don't, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin, I guess. I, I agree with Kirill's here. <clears throat> if you don't want people to speak their truth about something bugging them, then like, don't try to be part of a social media community because everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Everyone wants the best for the club and everyone wants to see the club doing well. Now, people need to be able to differentiate what Lampard has done as a player and now what Lampard is doing as a manager. And I think that's the biggest struggle for every fan right now. So again, we're not discrediting what Lampard ever did as a man, as a player, and we're not discrediting to what he did last season. We're talking about step two of his plan and how it's off the rails. So people need to really try to get objective whenever listening and whenever joining the conversation. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll let you guys kind of start off where we want to speak, but that's kind of the big thing here. We're not going to magically not be Chelsea fans. And no, we're not happy if Lampard is is or will get the imminent sacking. Like, none of us are over here hoping that Lampard does poorly. But yeah, because there's, the there's, there's two sides, like, there's two loonies, like, on two opposite sides of the spectrums. Like, there are the ones that say, uh, you are not a true Chelsea fan if you don't support Lampard through and through. You know, it's like, okay, I mean, Lampard is not Chelsea. The club is bigger than Chelsea. So that's... Or the club is bigger than... Yeah. I'm so the club is bigger than Frank. Yeah, the club is bigger than Frank. Uh, The club is Chelsea. It's not bigger than Chelsea. It is Chelsea. But so to say if you don't support him, you're not a true Chelsea fan is, in my opinion, a little bit absurd. And on the other end... It's the people who were actively rooting for us to lose this match so that Frank would be fired. Like, I can't relate to either of those, to be honest. I'm kind of in the middle. Uh, but I think after this this last match today, uh, it, it, it was really his chance to... I mean, in, in, the Fulham match should have been his last chance, but Mason Mount, who, you know, could could at the end of this be the person the person who pl- who scores his Frank's first and final goal with the club if he's not uh sacked before the next match but um you know he had his chance to make it up this week and uh it it just didn't work out it I didn't see anything that made me confident in his ability to manage the team the rest of the season to be completely honest and I don't want to sound like too overreactive because I now that I'm listening to myself I do sound like I'm a little overreactive but what I did see today was a bunch of players who were not on the same page 
Um, and it's not like this is the first week we got to get used to it. They're, you know, they're they're still working on the kinks. You know, this has been this has been halfway through the season. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I know people have been in and out due to injury. I mean, they're still at training. It's it's this is this is on this is a hundred percent on Frank's shoulders, and he failed to live up to the ex- expectations or whatever was demanded of him, which was rightfully so. You know, you 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 spend this kind of money in the off season, uh, and bring in a bunch of young talent to integrate with the current squad, and you end up being lower in the table than you were last season. I I I'm really I'm I'm disappointed because, you know, the going into this match, the players right surely knew that he was on the hot seat and the. A, a, a negative result could what could possibly end in him being sacked and the players just didn't look up for it uh, I tweeted this earlier like that could that could say everything about this situation the fact that they knew that this was maybe his last chance that they could have saved his job and they didn't look 100% up for it I mean Zach like you, you saw it you know, every single time there's a loose ball, Lester has two, three guys running for it. We just, you know, walk around the pitch. It just didn't look like, yeah, right. It, 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 it was something. It was something he spoke about immediately after the game, and and it kind of to to say, I don't want to keep prefacing everything I say with I don't want this to sound harsh, but but I mean I just really say don't want it. Yeah, harsh. just speak because it's at, at but, this point it's it's, look, it's it's gone enough. To be honest, I mean, I mean, in this case, um, Frank was really quick to say, um, you know, that that Lester was willing to put in the hard yards. They were first every loose ball, every 50 50 was uh, that was theirs was one, um, you know, pressing as a unit, um, even dropping off as a unit at times. And, and James Madison spoke on it as well when they asked him, you know, what's it like playing under Brendan Rodgers? And he's like, well, if you don't do the hard yards, then you're not playing for Brendan Rodgers. Well, we need some of that philosophy, don't we? I feel like, and I'm kind of sitting here like Frank is going out and saying, oh, well, the lads aren't doing that. It's on them to do it. Well, what do we have a manager for? Um, And and, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way whatsoever, but realistically, um, you're a manager to, one, manage the personalities and the different types of players that you have and the talent that you have. Uh, but two, to implement a style, um, formation, a tactic, um, making the right team selections, um, the basics of management it just kind of have seemed to to wither away over time. And I and I, and I think that's a problem. And you know, you look at the other teams, and 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 you get this rhetoric of, oh well, it needs time. It's a project. You know, sure. You can make the argument that if if you you know told Frank from now you have till the end of the season, of course there's a possibility that he could turn it around. You know I'm not putting it outside of the realms of possibility, but I also fall in the same boat as you, Sam, where I'm looking at the body of work in the last month, month and a half, um, and more more specifically for this season, just look at the body of work against teams that are higher up than us in the table. We're winless against them. Um, and that comes down to the, to, to the manager ultimately, I feel, um, at least in this situation, you know, it's, it's the four, three, three, every single match it's, um, you know, uh, 
substitutions coming around the same time every single match. It's selecting the same players over and over and over again, playing players constantly while they're out of form, like Timo Werner, guys like Ben Chilwell, um, bringing players back from injury too early and, 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 and kind of baptizing them by fire. I'm talking about Hakeem Ziyech. I'm talking about Reese James, the last two ma- or the, uh, this past match against Leicester. Um, I'm talking about those kind of things. It's you have to have the foresight as a manager to kind of identify who needs a rest, who could be rotated in and out. Okay, who could I bring in cold turkey after an injury? Um, a guy like Reese James, we learned today. He can't come back right into a starting 11 post-injury, whether he's fit, quote-unquote, uh, physically fit or not. Mentally, he was way off the pace today. Um, and, and, and for me, I'm looking at it like, okay, is it because the team is sucking or, you know, it, could it be another factor? And ultimately what I came down to was, one, the team did suck. They didn't do him any favors. But at the same time, Reese James has only been playing first-team football in the Premier League for half a season. Dave was our starter when Frank first came in. Let's not forget that. It took a while for Reese to get that spot. So when you're looking at it in from the full picture, Reese James specifically, he hasn't had much first-team football. You can't expect a guy to come back into the first team like that against a side that, if they pick up three points, are top of the table, by the way, and expect some type of performance. And, and I feel like those are some examples of the decisions that Frank is making that is missing the mark. And I'm only really scratching the surface here, but if we're talking about man management specifically, those are just some of the things I see. We bring players back from injury way too soon. Um, Mm -hmm. We're constantly forcing performances out of players uh, that are out of form, and ultimately it's putting them further out of form. Um, And and the lack of any stylistic change. We have, we we keep playing this 4-3-3 with the, you know, the two attacking eights, the the high press. Well, the high press hasn't worked for us. The two attacking eights haven't worked for us, especially when N'Golo Conte is out of the game. And whenever we see Frank making a change, especially recently, I feel like more so this match against Leicester, we switched to the 4-4-2 too little too late. We should have come into the second half with a different formation or with some sort of different personnel or some sort of different look. You know, based on the eye test, I didn't see any sort of change in the second half. Who knows what Frank is telling him in the dressing room? You know, I'm I'm sure there was talk about, hey, you you know, the X's and O's, you need to be here, you need to be here, or you need to be there instead of here. I get that. But we're not seeing any of those changes on the pitch. And, you know, you can sit back and you could blame the players and you could, you know, say, well, Timo's missed a couple sitters and Kai hasn't really hit the ground running and Ziyech hasn't been healthy and you know, uh, Pulisic's by himself. And you can make up all these excuses about the players. And yes, they haven't been good enough. I'm not dismissing that whatsoever. But the point I'm trying to make is that ultimately the manager is more dispensable than the players are, especially in modern football. So if we're going to talk about whose fault it is, it's not fair to say, hey, it's, you know, fuck the players. Frank is doing what he can because we know that's not how it we know that's not how it works. Even if it is the player's fault, they're never going to take the blame for it. And the management is never going to put the blame on the players for it. It has to fall on the manager. Yeah, I hesitate a little bit to put blame on the players as well, just because, I mean, you can see that managers I'm blame on man- the players. I'm not I'm not. Hesitating well, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not not fully just because. Because this is this is what I'm saying. 
you can see that managers have figured out how to take away uh, Frank's style. I mean, against against Fulham, obviously because they were down to ten men, they ended up playing two blocks of five uh, in the you know in the midfield in the back line, and uh, they did a really good job at neutralizing any sort of attack because we don't <laughs> we don't try to create down the middle. We go down the side, we bomb down the side, and we cross the ball in, and we pray that is either deflection, handball, or Olivier Giroud gets it into the back of the net. But you know, but you even saw today against Leicester. For a large portion of this match, they had their forwards come back and they would play in a block of five and just completely eliminate. Like literally every single time someone would touch the ball, there would be two defenders on them, and uh, you know you saw Pulisic. Uh, Chilwell, Reese James, everyone on the pitch was was losing the losing possession over and over again. Whether it was uh, them take, getting the ball taken away from them, misplaced pass, something like that, and I think that has a lot to do with the instructions that are given to them. I mean, Andreas, like you, even you you saw what I was seeing today in that players didn't know where their teammates were they were playing balls yeah. into empty space with no one standing around like how do you even how do you how do you excuse that right and 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 again that that's where i think it's a manager's job you talk about the players and sure the players need to communicate on the pitch but <clears throat> if if you just discuss patterns of play in practice and you coach that properly it by now halfway through the season those should be automatic and, and we're not seeing that. And we saw that today. There was a moment, I can think of three. There was one where Chilwell and Tammy, Tammy passes it backwards while Chilwell is already making an overlapping run, turnover. Um, another one was, and this one's the opposite, where Reese James has like six touches on the ball. You see both Tammy and Cho make runs up the middle into actual space. Reese never looked up to those passes because I'm assuming some sort of instruction from the manager and his coaching staff saying, don't look up and look for the long ball ever. Like, or, or don't try to go back to the middle because the moment the ball gets out to the fullbacks, it stays wide. It just does. You have the attacking eights check in and they do a little one, two. Then you have the winger check in and they do a little one, two. And then our fullbacks are deeper than our eights. Our fullbacks are deeper than our wingers. And the only thing they have left is a cross to a lonely forward in the box because guess what our attacking eights are extremely wide and nowhere near the middle of the pitch why play a midfield three where there's supposed to be three center mids and instruct two of the three center mids to be outside of the width of of the opponent's box why what is the point of that more more I'll, i'll take it one step further why Tell your fullbacks to overlap and then tell your wingers to stick around right next to the fullbacks. You, you, know, you create triangles that are three, four yards apart from each other, mm-hmm. all outside the box. Then there's nobody to release in the middle, ever. You get, um, you look at some of the other top teams in Europe. I, I mean, I'm thinking about Man City specifically because, you know, when you're talking about the attacking eights, Man City plays with two attacking eights. 
and they do something similar to what our eights do where they where they check out into the wide spaces like you often see De Bruyne check out into that wide space so he could play that whipping ball he loves that but what City does is they don't their fullbacks don't overlap and their wingers don't stay wide basically there there's no congestion in the wide areas they don't vacate the middle what they do is the the two attacking eights go wide let's say De Bruyne and you know Bernardo or Gundogan because he's been on a tear lately so it's usually, you know, Gundogan and De Bruyne will check out into one of those wide spaces. And what happens is instead of the fullbacks overlapping, the fullback tucks in and becomes more narrow. And he becomes the outlet pass should that through ball or that cross not be there. Now, all of a sudden, if that ball's not there, De Bruyne pulls it back, plays a fullback who's playing centrally, sort of like in the number six role. And then, boom, the pattern of play keeps moving. And then you shift the ball to the other side. And that's seamless. My point is, and, and I think this is what you're trying to get out, Andres, is like, in regards to the patterns of play, you look at these other teams, like like you look at Liverpool, where they have, they're doing what I feel like Frank is trying to emulate, where we have these, um, you know, the workhorses in the midfield, overlapping fullbacks, um, and inverted wingers. And that's what Liverpool is really good at. They put balls in the box with crazy volume, just like we do. You often hear that rhetoric with Chelsea fans. Pass, pass, cross, pass, pass, cross. Well, Liverpool does that too, but it works because there's that balance there. There's not one area of the pitch that's more congested than the other. They're not vacating the whole middle of the pitch. Today, we actually didn't get an attack up the middle. I have it marked down here in my game notes. If I could pop them back open really quick. 32 minutes in, and it was our first time that we were able to create through the middle of the game over a half an hour into the match. And the only time that happened is when Pulisic tucked in and laid off Cho... And it's, instead of Cho going for the far post, he, he, he tried to go near. But all these other top sides, they have something that they could lean on when shit hits the fan. When they're not playing well, they find ways to scrap through it. They have styles of play that they can lean on and go back and say, hey, let's just go back to our DNA for a bit, for one match, for 20 minutes, for one half, and, and just get the fucking result. We'll make it as ugly as it needs to be, and we're going to make it happen. We don't have any of that know-how. No, and, and not even and not even just style. It's people. We we talked about how last season Liverpool rarely rotated, mm -hmm. but this season, this past weekend, I believe they had like Shakiri playing in the midfield three, yeah. which he rarely ever does, mm -hmm. and he knew exactly what was expected of him, exactly what he had to do, and it was, like you said, a seamless transition. And let me tell you. That comes down to management and coaching. It's not about the player because I'll give you a better example of a team that's not a, a title winner, Champions League winning team like Liverpool. Ralph Hasenhutl at Southampton has them running a perfect full team press. It Teams struggle. Liverpool literally lost these guys a few weeks back. There, You don't need world star players to implement a style of play. You just need to be a good teacher, good coach, good tactician to do so. And and at this point, if Lampard's complaint was that we didn't have the players last season, he was given an open checkbook. So for him to blame the players time and time again, I don't buy that. I don't. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned that he spoke about the players and their effort being an issue. And I said, that's something you... You just don't want to dive into those waters. You don't even want to dip yeah. your toes in it because it could get toxic really fast. And yeah, I feel he did like it again today. 
Yeah, well, well, he did do it today. He said there mm-hmm. are some, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said that there's some personalities and some players in a dressing room that don't have their heads right, and it's their responsibility to pull their head out of their ass. Did he That's... say that? Well, I mean, uh, he didn't what say, I he saw didn't was say... that I saw something about the players. It comes down to the players to do basic things like running. And yeah, yeah. He never he count. never said there's certain players in the you know. I don't think he he singled out no, anyone. I think he I talked said, generally. No. He said there are some players that are struggling. He he he, he, he said something like the bare minimum is to sprint to yeah. hustle, uh-huh. and it's just he like he didn't say dude. the whole team. He didn't say the whole team, and that's my fucking yeah. issue with it. You know, even if it is two or three players, you still say it's the whole team just to save face. You have to play the politics of being a manager as well. But but I mean, that's a whole separate issue. But yeah, I mean, you don't even have to look at Andres kind of nailed it you don't have to look at the top teams you could even look at some of the mid to lower table teams that have identities that lean on those identities and year after year after year after year they still survive in the premier league look at crystal palace with roy hodgson how long have they been running a 4-4-2 it's the most boring basic football to possibly watch but each player knows their role to the t and they get results and guess what they stayed in the Premier League a lot longer than they should have. Now they're is amazing. that is that the bar we're going to hold ourselves no, to? No, 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 no. Whether we stay not, in the Premier no, League, I'm not. <laughs> it's not bad. I know. No, it's I not these guys, it's these the guys idea, are these guys um, are expect their their expectations. These teams are setting for these other managers who have far less talent in their squads, and these managers get they the manage. absolute most out of these they, players. Right. They manage City, to find a way. Like, right. It's, that's. It's, that's the whole thing about it is when I hear Frank going and saying what he's saying and it, it, sort of what he did today, it makes me think like, well, shit, he's out of ideas. No, because and, if he, if, and let me if he wasn't, he would have given me a better one. It would have been fit. This, this, it wouldn't have been an issue for four mm-hmm. or five matches in a row. I think like David and, Moyes at West Ham is, is a good uh, example. Uh, yes. To be honest, like they, I mean, Absolutely. we just brought yeah. them up earlier, but they've looked really good with, you know, like very limited talent. I mean, they do have talent on the roster, but I mean, last year they nearly avoided relegation, and this season he's really turned it around. Uh, it's like the exact opposite of what happened with Frank Lampard. Uh, but, no, but all those and, and, teams, all those teams have have that thing in common. They all have that character trait where they're just energetic as fuck. You know, Andres. The, the full press with Southampton. I mean, that's exactly what it is over there. You look at Leeds, another team. They lean on their identity. They've had success by leaning on their identity. I mean, granted, they've lost a lot. That's just the consequence of leaning on it. But you look at them, and they're able to pull results. When shit hits the fan, they're able to lean on that. Hey, this is who we are. We can do this shit with our eyes closed. We can do it with the left back playing at center forward if we need to. It's still going to happen because... Th- th- this is how we play. We don't have that. Yeah, there's there's no identity. pattern of play or nothing stylistically that makes me think like, oh, that's so Chelsea 20, 2021. 20, <laughs> nothing gives me that. No, and the thing I want to say is like, even I hate to use Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as, a, as an example because he... That's a good example. He he said, he knows that the, the big team, the big matches are tough. He knows that he may not be a better manager than Klopp, than Pep, than Mourinho. So so what does he do? He 
sits back and plays defense. I think he's got a bunch of draws against the top six teams. Something he have a like lot of that. losses, and that's the point. And, and so he's not losing. He's not accumulating losses. Yeah. That, so so at least he's accumulating points and staying. I mean, they're 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 top four. And earlier this season, we're like, well, what a calamity. But it was really just the Champions League. He he knows how to handle a league schedule. There's that. Then here's the other part. We talk about our, in, our individual players struggling. And I'm going to use the other post-match press conference from today, which was James Madison. Madison spoke about how last season people were saying that unless James Madison gets more involved in the score sheet, whether he's scoring, whether he's assisting, he's not going to get the call up, call up for England. So what did Brendan Rodgers do? He sat down James Madison and he said, we're actually going to play you as an eight because if I play you as an eight, you're going to get to make late runs into the box and you're going to get easier shots than the ones you're trying to create as a 10. And what's happening? James Madison balling out, scores on us today. Prob- I think he got man of the match. He's and, on his way to double figure, to, to and, double digits. Right, and the point is, is Brendan Rodgers and the players see an issue. They go and watch the tape. Solution, Lester went from a 4-2-3-1 last season to a, either a 3-4-3 or a 4-3-3 this season. Boom. Madison went from a 10 to an 8. No problem. What has has Lampard done anything like that with any of our players yet? Poor. We'll start with Mason Mount, who is arguably our player of the season based on arguably. just consistency. The guy has had to play as a cam, as a 10, basically, as a shadow striker, whatever you want to call it, last season. Then he got pushed to the wing. Then he got pushed into like an inside forward and a 3-4-3. Then at the end of the season, he was an 8. Then at the beginning of the season, he was back to the left wing. Then he was back to an 8. And now he's playing as a double pivot in a 4-4-2. I mean, what are you going to do with these guys? Like Mason Mount, has, as an individual player, doesn't even have an identity because of the manager tweaking things. I mean, how long did it take for him to play in a double pivot, which is like what we all think he's tailor-made for, at least. But regardless of what we think of what he's tailor-made for, the fact that I'm picking one player that has had to play six different roles in a in the time span of a season and a half that's that's ridiculous it's not even that you're playing him on the right wing versus the left wing you know he's playing everywhere i don't know that's just one example i kind of hesitate with the mason mount example though andres because like okay i'll give you the kai havertz example you try to convert him to an eight crap And you'd say, okay, I need to put him back at the 10. You still give him zero instruction. No, the poor no guy before has he goes to the 10, he played the false brilliant. nine. He but played the a, false nine for us before he even played the 10 in a 4-2-3-1, which right. is probably his preferred nine, system. He played right wing. He played eight. He played everywhere. But but the point remains that you have a problem. If you think it's an individual player problem, the coaching staff is supposed to fix that alongside the player. And it seems like the coaching staff is just – throwing stuff at a wall until something sticks. And then if that thing that they think sticks slides down the wall just a little bit, they're throwing itself again until something sticks. People are saying, oh, we're, people want the managerial carousel again. No, it's it's not that. It's just, this isn't, here's the shitty part. Sorry was a, got fired after getting top four in Europa League, but his stuff was just the way he just completely broke off from, from you know, the, Having the fans. any sort of relationship, yeah, exactly. It was a relationship thing. It wasn't the football. Here, Lampard, no matter how this ends, is still going to be a statue outside of the bridge. 
period. Yeah. But sadly, the footballing is not there. There, there is, it just isn't there. I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not giving the players as big of a pass as you guys. I feel like, like I, on one hand, yes. I mean, we. I feel like we talked about Frank, and and, and everybody kind of has a general idea of what that what the issues are there. But, I mean, what about the players? At what point do you as players say this is fucking not good enough for Chelsea Football Club? I mean, you're not you're not talking, and, and, and I'm not saying that about Timo Werner. I'm not ta- I'm not saying that about uh, Kai Havertz even. I'm talking so about the Chelsea player? boys. Which I'm, I'm ta- everyone else has been playing? Better. Yeah. Which which Chelsea player has had success here outside of Aspilicueta, long term? And he's not even on the pitch to to try to instill that fire. Mendy I mean, knew, Thiago Silva knew, Zuma's fresh I mean, meat. Chilwell knew. We had there seven is no... new starters in our first in our first league match. So, so, so you can't ask for that. that. They they don't no. know what it is. And if and if the guy like Frank Lampard, who is supposed to be Mr. Chelsea and the guy that created the identity that we grew up with as to what Chelsea means, can't instill that on his players, then he's not the man for the job. Period. I mean, it doesn't yep. even have to be. Doesn't have to be the Chelsea way. It's just winning. Like it, it, there is no, there's nothing, there's nothing right. inherent about, you know, playing for Chelsea for a long time. So now you know how to win. It's it it's it's simply just putting in the effort and, and I mean, again, I'm not saying they're not putting in no. effort, you know, but no, it's it, if anyone knows effort, it's Frank. I know and everyone it, was it's, calling him chubby and fat and overweight, and he turned into one of the best midfielders that ever kicked the football. So it's, well, he it's obviously so doesn't know how to make other people feel energized. Well, well, but that's the thing. It's it's the motivational aspect of being a manager. You got to know how to light the fire under players. The all or nothings. I mean, granted, we saw two of the best coaches to ever coach. I mean, we we saw Pep and Mourinho, but but within the first speech that they have or the first monologue that they have on the show, you're like, I get it now. I totally get it now. And and while you're watching, you're thinking, and and, and at least I was looking and, and watching it and thinking, oh man, it, I would have loved to play under these guys. Like you, you, you get the sense that any one of those players would, you know, chop an arm off for the manager. Like it, they would take a bullet for him if they had to. You get that sense in the performances too. I don't know, or it's not. I don't know. I do know that it's completely absent from this team. I don't see that that grit, that ability to 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 roll up the sleeves and say, you know what, I'm gonna make something happen myself for my teammates. The only there's only a few players on a team where I even see kind of do that. I mean one of them is Pulisic. We saw a little bit of it today where Pulisic is like the big bad wolf. You know, he huffs and puffs but he still can't blow anything down. Like he's trying. He's really, really trying. But and Mason Mount maybe today, Edward Mendy at times. No, but but Zach, you're asking the players to to want to do something for somebody that's throwing them under the bus right now. You're, like, you're, how does that make sense? So you're telling me that you're let's say your boss is like, man, Zach, you've been really shitty at work. Are you gonna show up to work and be like, man, I really want to do I don't this think, for my boss? I don't think all, the, all the players aren't against him. That's no, I'm thing. not saying like, I'm not saying that even, either. But but even, if you. But if everything you see in the media when you turn on your TV on your off day, which is tomorrow, is Lampard saying, well, the least they can do is run 
and fight for the ball rather than being like, for example, Mourinho, who is always like, oh, it wasn't the player's fault that didn't set up the team properly. Like Mourinho, Mourinho does that until it's like already broken and he knows he's getting fired. And then the players yeah. respond by like, wow, he's got my back. He really believes that, you know, we can do better because he says that it was on him. I'm going to fight for that guy. I mean, how many how many times have you seen uh, uh, an ex-Mourinho player say we would run through a brick wall for him? All of you, them. You hear John mm-hmm. Terry say it all the time. And, all and of with them. every Mourinho team. No, not players even that. Just Real, even, players from Inter. I'm using I Spurs even, players right now. You yeah. watch that all or nothing. Harry Kane, that yeah. first meeting, did not want anything to do with Mourinho. You could yeah. tell that he was pissed that Poch got fired. Look at him now. Yeah. Same. Yep. But but yeah. but but that's the thing. It, that's the pedigree that, of him though too. Yeah. But Frank but, doesn't have that right now. Frank doesn't have that, and I feel like my my issue with the way Frank is going about this, guys, and, and like I, I want to stress this, it's not it's not that he's saying the whole team is playing like shit. He's saying some players, but he's not naming names. So, <laughs> but when we he goes know into the dressing room. When he yeah. goes into the dressing room, it's obvious who those players are. I'm mm-hmm. sure the players know who they are, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. But as a manager, you you just don't spit that kind of rhetoric because it can bleed into the players like some of your good eggs, like the Reese James, like Ben Chilwells, like the Ziyeshes, like the Mason Mounts, the guys who come right into the team after they've been out for the last month and a half. Those guys are even suffering now, and, and I'm not saying it's because of it, it's you know solely because Frank says things like that. It could be other factors as well, but it's it, it's a contributing factor. I mean, what what kind of effect does that have on the psyche if you're you know one of Frank's good eggs and you hear him throw one of your teammates under the bus and you're like, I, you know, I I thought we were linking up pretty well the other day. All right, well, you know, let or, me let me ask this question. Our, our next match, Ludden Town's FA Cup matchup in four days. We don't have another league match until a week. Um, Andreas, I'll start with you. It's two questions. Do you think Frank Lampard will be sacked before the Ludden Town match? And do you wish that he was? You know, do you, do you think and do you wish in Good four Lord. days. Um, Ariano Saul asked us a question on Twitter, actually. First time question. He said, we, if Frankie's cut, who do we bring in? Well, well before that, yeah, this is a different question. Yeah. I'm just asking you, do you think he so, will? And do you I mean, want everything, to? I feel like everything points to the fact that he will, especially because a new manager can beat Lutton Town. I'm sorry, Lutton fans, whoever you are, but... <laughs> Based Wherever on you are. <laughs> based on the players that we have, we beat Morcam playing like complete trash. I feel the same way about Lutton. So that could be your little test run of whatever you're trying to implement as an interim manager, whether you're simplifying things or not. So we don't have international break for a while, so it's not like we can wait for that. I think this is probably the best chance to do so. But... I, I mean, I don't know. Usually when with Chelsea, you know right away. And it just, I don't know. I can't tell. I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> so I, I don't wish, I never wish for Lampard to get sacked. I don't. Unless Chelsea truly believes that Thomas Tuchel is going to carry on the mantle 
through the season into the next, even he might not be the answer. So, yeah, it's just there's no concrete who's next talk. And without that, I can't – I don't know. Because well, I, it's it, – the, the, there probably is talk. It just hasn't been reported yet. News. I mean – You know, so, so I so think there has been – we let me see how many and i probably should have looked this up ahead of time so we played 19 matches and we have 38 so we're literally halfway through the season mm-hmm. and we are two spots from europa league mm-hmm. if you fire frank today i think that's the goal sorry no. if anyone thinks that i'm underselling it but i think the goal now at this point this season when there's plenty of teams ahead of us with one or two matches that they still need to play i think the goal is to get europa league because I, I don't see a new manager coming in and everything being fine and dandy from the beginning. I think there will be stumbling blocks in the first three to five matches. And then from there, maybe there will be some consistency. You can you can kiss the Champions ah, I, I take it back. You don't have to kiss the Champions League goodbye because that's an elimination game and 2012 did happen. Yeah, so I was going to say, we can just bring in Di Matteo. I said this last week. Just bring him in. That will guarantee us a Champions League spot for next year. <laughs> I mean, I whoever comes in needs to be a little bit at least have some sort of pragmatism in him because we need to get results right now. Like it's a matter of oh, we play Liverpool, park the bus. Maybe maybe Timo Pulisic or Cho or Ziyech or Havertz, one of them gets lucky enough and scores one goal. Maybe, mm-hmm. but you gotta you gotta yeah you gotta make a change and if you're gonna make a change because you think Lampard's not the guy don't don't let him continue a season and potentially make it worse cut cut ties and try to make it friendly because at the end of the day Lampard is top tier Chelsea legend what do you think Zach again before you get into names of who could possibly replace him is he there for Luttontown I think so. And I think how he about is. how about how about Wolves? Because that that's a week from now. I think that has more time like you know I'm thinking I like think... after like like you know it's nicer to see him leave after a win rather than a, a loss. So maybe they're trying to save face we, a little we bit. We, unfortunately, we don't have the uh <laughs> we don't have the uh what is it? The cushion to do that in the table. Right. No, and, um, and the FA Cup against Lutton Town, I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, what, what's, again, I'd rather give what's a manager a try. Because... Like his first run of match with these yeah. guys, see what they've got, get that, a win true. as a first win. I, that's yeah. way more productive it's an easy than first win for a manager. <laughs> it's a good momentum to that start makes with. More, that makes more sense football wise. I'm just thinking of saving Frank's legacy. Like no, it really, no, it did because no. it, it, it did hamper listen. it. It did hamper it. I'm not not for me personally, but there's it did. No, there's no legacy that needs to be saved with with Frank Lampard and Chelsea Football Club. If you're a Chelsea fan and you think that his legacy needs saving, you're mistaken. You haven't watched Lampard ever play, because the guy's won everything there is to win with us. But, but if, it, if if he was never hired as our manager, greatest... dude, if what? he was never if he was never hired as our manager in the first place, versus what he knowing what we I know now, it's different. different. It's it is. It has to be Zach. I don't. Has to be. I don't. No, not. I don't think of him any differently. Not for me. I'm just saying it has. I don't feel salty towards him. 
I don't feel angry at him. I'm not mad at him. I'm I'm disappointed. I'm sad. I'm depressed. Do I get d- did I get angry with him at times? Yes. Did I not like some of his decision making? Yes. I don't like a lot of what he's doing, but it doesn't change like you know, like, I'm going to give you an example, Sam. For me, you know how diehard of a Laker fan I am. If when Magic Johnson threw that whole big right. fit in the front office and said, you know, fuck it, I'm out. Yes, I was salty. Yes, it took me a while to forgive him, but I still love Magic Johnson just as much as I did before. He's still Magic Johson. Okay. And see, Lampard's the same. It, it, I, it, I'll, I'll take it one step further. I'll, I'll take so, it one step further. We fired Mourinho. Mourinho got to come back. Who mm-hmm. says that this is the end of Frank Lampard long-term as a Chelsea yes. manager? It is a pause on the Frank Lampard story. This doesn't mean that Lampard will never be part of Chelsea Football Club ever mm-hmm. again. It's just a matter of the fact that this is season number three for him as a manager. Wow. This is not the championship. And, for example... Steven Gerrard took the job at Rangers and it's taken him just as long, if not longer, to get Rangers to be at the top of the Scottish Premier League, which is just a two-man league. And it, it, No, it's been a one-man league. For like okay, it's been all time. Celtic. But the point <laughs> is, it you have to start somewhere because even Lampard doesn't know what his identity is because he hasn't created it and solidified it with a bunch of quote-unquote nobodies. Guys, guys, listen. I... I thought of the most amazing solution to our issue, okay? Steve Holland, we bring him in, and, you know, Gareth Southgate now has a vacancy on the English national team. Frank Lampard goes over there, works under Gareth Southgate. Maybe that's not the best person to work under, but still it's experience that he gets, and he spends a couple years. He becomes England's manager, once Gareth Southgate is inevitably fired, and he tra- he gets he gets trained managing them, and then after Steve Hollins won all of his trophies with Chelsea, he can retire, and then we bring <laughs> Frank Lampard back after he's won multiple World Cups with England where, and where does John uh, Mason Pitt, Mount. When, when, the, when, when does JT come back and manage us in that timeline? <laughs> Because that's oh, another one I'm looking forward that... to also. Yeah. I was thinking Ooh. I was thinking this. I said hindsight Lamps probably should have did what Gerard did. You know, regardless of who comes knocking, I'm gonna stay where I'm at four or five years, really establish myself, see what style I like best, and then move on and take the next step. It's more measured. I mean, obviously it makes more sense. I don't wanna fuck that up with JT. And I actually like how JT's pathway into coaching is compared to Lamps, where Lamps basically just got thrusted into a head coaching position, where JT's, you know, sitting back as an assistant, seeing things for himself, and then, you know, I'm sure eventually he's going to get a head coaching job. Maybe not in the Premier League right off the bat, but definitely in the championship, or maybe even abroad. I know he took his classes in Portugal even, but my point is, there's also that. So, like, we talk about the possibility of Frank coming back. There's also the possibility of our greatest captain leader legend of all time but coming back. But you're talking like five, ten years down the road. Oh, like, but, but but this is also what we're talking about with Frank. I I don't think I don't think Frank can leave and in two or three years have enough success to convince me that he's good enough to come back and. And, and I never said two, three years. I mean, Mourinho's yeah. what almost sixty years old. Like, 
managerial yeah. careers go on and on and on. My, oh, my yeah. thing is, is if anything, the, the thing that I could see keeping Frank here is at the end of the day, I think Frank Lampard is a great salesman because this summer during the pandemic, he convinced Vince top tier transfer targets to come here. Now, he's not the guy to implement his dream because as we see this open expansive fluid attacking football that he wants to play just isn't something he can accomplish as a coach but who says he can't be the sporting director of this club and do that we already have one Another we don't have a sporting director isn't that basically Peter Chak's role Peter Chak is our third goalkeeper <laughs> 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 Peter Check is a is a no hesitation consultant. either. Peter no Check is a consultant. He still Honest, is not our sporting I know you director. Hate, I, I know you don't like Keppa, but like I mean, come on, Peter Check is our is our sporting no. director. He's not. He's but he's not. I did not see a single. We don't have a sporting director. We have Marina. A sporting director would be the guy the guy taking a picture with the guy holding the jersey. Andres said Peter Check uh, Peter Check is our third goalkeeper. That means Willie Caballero's second. Keppa's what four? <laughs> leaving. I, I'm, I'm still hopeful that poor Keppa gets hey. to go somewhere and be not depressed. But but my point is, yeah. obviously Peter Check Peter Check scouted Mendy for us. By the way, that's what he did. He, did. he, did. he yeah. said he said years ago. And hey, this guy's gonna up, be good. Just to draw a parallel with that, Paolo Maldini scouted Fakayo Tomori at AC Milan. Okay, let's not oh, talk about that right now. Wait, we'll we there. haven't brought that but, up. No, we haven't. But yeah. I was going to say, there's a there's a German sporting director who literally flip-flops between sporting director and manager when when called upon. I can't remember his name right now, but he's done it multiple times. Why can't Frank transition to just a businessman, still be the face of Chelsea, yeah, just where all the these face. young players saw him play, and be like, hey, we got this manager, whoever it is coming in after him, who's going to be able to make you play this way, this way, and that way. Because apparently Frank Lampard is really good at, at whispering sweet nothings in the ears of these top talents. Yes, so. but at the same time, like, <laughs> dude, Frank is a winner, man. He's always going to want to coach. Yeah, for, yeah, Andreas is writing off the rest of his managerial career. I've seen it now. I, I was just he, saying, he doesn't like, have just, what it takes. No, this was this was just my way of saying, like, maybe we can keep him in the club without having to fire him but no mm-hmm. he's gonna go yeah. be a manager the guy is smart you learn from failures and at the end of the day he's even gonna come out in some sort of memoir and say that taking this job was too soon mm-hmm. yeah wait what, what did you say again andreas it's a pause what did you say this is a pause to his story uh, like this is not the beautiful. end of his like chelsea story it's just a pause okay yeah well uh, so so just quick yes or no from both of you. Do you What's think Frank will be a top manager one day? Yes or no? Uh, Got reaction. Got reaction. Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> no. I'm, sorry. I'm saying yes. I don't I think, know. I, I think top, we could, dude. Top footballers don't make the best managers, and uh, some of them don't. I mean, Zidane is the exception. Them... Zidane is the exception. And is, is, is he really... Zidane's a fluke. Simeone... At least Zidane had, had like, the, the know-how to be like, hey, I'm going to build this whole team around 
just Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> that was yeah. He, that that is a luxury. Uh, we yeah, Frank a, Lampard had have... Frank Lampard had to build his team around Timo Werner's finishing abilities. So it, <laughs> not, it makes you it makes you think like it. like what what Frank could have made of, of of like an Eden Hazard if oh, we had someone early like that, Holland. Oh. Who could get us like another nine to twelve points a season? What if Frank? What if individual brilliance? What if he could just stick around long enough to have us sign Holland, and then we can uh, get rid We're of him after that? What, what are we gonna do? Play with seven strikers? <laughs> Dude, if we got if we got Holland and Steve Holland in the same oh. summer, Holland combo. <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> that would. Uh... Holland's. That would be that's that's literally that will solve all of our problems. Holland and Holland, two different spellings. Yeah, and we will, <laughs> but we'll, we still won't even have a Dutch player in our squad. But we'll have two Hollands. Oh my God, that joke was so bad. I hate you. Yes, no, that was great. Yeah, that was Clap actually up. amazing. God. How about isn't wait isn't Umbaya is he not Dutch? Buyamba? Yeah, he is. Buyamba? Oh well, mm-hmm. still a good joke. Yeah. No, I, and Zach, yeah, that was yeah. that was a that was a slow burn for me. Like I didn't get it at first. Oh <laughs> and my I had, god! I, I had the, I had the word Holland. In, I had the word Holland in front of me, and I was like, "Oh, Holland." But okay, <laughs> we're talking about Holland, and you know, normally, I after after the game, every after every match, we post uh, a tweet asking for Twitter questions. And after this, this match, I was the one searching for questions, and I like tweeted out without even thinking like if frank is gone who was our next manager and then i realized wait we're supposed to be asking them for questions but um <laughs> when we but every single question was along that line uh who who will be the guy to replace frank if he is sacked we already mentioned steve holland uh and zach you can talk more about him if you want but uh what are what are some other names you'd like to see that you 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 think are likely chances to come in I mean, we've already talked about it but yeah i mean it's uh, more relevant than ever <laughs> at, at virgil bruin throughout tuchel i mean that's a name we've already spoken about um obviously a project manager and then uh m conan uh said ironically hopefully uh rogers brendan rogers um that's impossible for mid-season right impossible now it's impossible yeah. right now definitely not against it in the long term I think after looking at, um, you know, I, I, last week, I still stand by it. I think Steve Holland is, you know, if you want to bring someone um, with familiarity um, with the club, Steve Holland's the guy. Um, but there are other managers that I think could step in and give immediate results. Like Brendan Rodgers was 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 one of those names. I think Hazen Hoodle's another name, um, you know, a, a name that I respect, mainly because the guy lost 9-0 last season stayed with the same team they pretty much had the same players um that they had during the relegation yeah i mean i mean that team really didn't change much um they even lost like like they lost hoiberg who was one of their better players on that roster um you know che adams is developing really nicely for them um you know james ward prowse is playing absolutely out of his skin he's gotten performances out of vestergaard and you know I don't know how closely anybody follows Southampton, but but that guy was like dead in the water at one point for them, and all of a sudden his career is rejuvenated. It, that's that's the type of name I want to see us being linked with. 
if we ever need to, to, to you know, hire another manager midseason. I I still don't think that the odds of us getting a guy like Hasenhutl are very good compared to a guy like Steve Holland, though. Um, I mean, Hasenhutl is not going to leave Southampton midway through the season. Doesn't mean we can't sign him today for a next season job. In Hasenhutl's defense, why would he leave a team that's better than us? I mean, just go look at the table. Brendan <laughs> Rodgers and Hasenhutl. Okay, well, yeah. money talks, I love Zach. how you're mentioning Brendan Rodgers right uh-huh. now. Brendan Rodgers right now because after the sorry situation, I brought him up and you laughed that off big time. Just saying. I did Just laugh saying. it off big time. No, 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 and I did. But but look, to be fair, a lot's happened between now and then in terms of the success that we've seen him sustain with Leicester. I think that's the thing. Like when he got in, there was a we all thought it was a new manager bounce, at least I did. But to see him sustain the success and to also chop and change the formation and the style of play too, because they've shown us three at the back, they've shown us four three three, which we haven't seen from Leicester, they showed us four four two, which won them titles. I mean, we've seen a lot of different shapes and formations and playing styles and different players coming in. Their transfer business has been phenomenal. His body of work since he's arrived at Leicester has done nothing but gain my respect. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just give so, you examples again of, of what a good manager does. Last season, they sold McGuire. You bring in a guy who nobody knew in Suyunchu, however you say that properly, and he was the talk talk of the town. Then this year, Suyunku, Suyunchu, whatever his freaking name is, disappears. Who comes in? Uh, he played today. Fofana, I think was his name. Yeah. And he's balling out. So he's unbelievable. It's one of those things where a manager is supposed to make players better. Yes, when you have the money, you go and buy the elite player that's the missing piece. And if you can buy multiple players, your job should be even easier. Yet here we are in ninth place. But 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 again, you know, we talk about Hasenhutl, talk about Brendan Rodgers. Those are guys that have done this long enough to identify and know what they want and what their squads are missing. So, you know, Hasenhutl specifically really hasn't changed his starting 11 much, maybe two or three players. But the shift in the way they're playing and their personality on the pitch, the performances and the results are, are night and day. And you get the same thing with Brendan Rodgers. Um, they basically sell their best player every season, and they still manage to replace him with someone just as good, if not better, um, or someone that they could even get more money for. Like, the, the, the recruitment's amazing, and, and my point is the managers definitely have something to do with that. You know, if, if you can go up to a guy like Brendan Rodgers or Ralph Hasenhutl and say, hey, um, you know, look at the last three results, what's going on? And they could say, oh, well, look, we're really light at the back. We need a, we need a right wing back that can, you know, that's pacey, that can do X, Y, and Z. They know exactly what they want. I feel like when we went out this summer, we just bought a bunch of talent and a bunch of players who fill up similar spaces on the pitch, who occupy similar roles, and who have similar personalities, to be frank, because I don't see any of these guys being killers as far as I'm concerned. And you just kind of throw them on the pitch and expect it all to click. It, it's not that easy. I mean, <laughs> go look at teams like Real Madrid and Barcelona um, and look at all the big names that they've had on some of their teams and how little success they've enjoyed. Big names don't do jack shit for you. You got to also have the personality too. And I feel like the manager has a lot to do with that in terms of what type of players to pursue. What is a more urgent need for a squad? A number 10 
or another left back or a new goalkeeper or you know we went out this summer we bought a new striker we had two of them already on the books granted this was something we talked about that could be that, that could have been upgraded but in the meantime we didn't buy a backup cdm or we didn't buy a backup left back we didn't replace keppa who was the worst goalkeeper in premier league history statistically last season like the all these different factors kind of go into selecting and purchasing and and picking players week week in and week out and that's something that frank missed but something that guys like Hazen Hoodle and, and, and Brendan Rodgers are getting right week in and week out and every January and every summer. I think you're overstating his influence on the board, to be honest, a little bit. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I know he, he, he does well, have an influence on what players he wants, but, you know, I'll give him a little bit of credit. He, he is. Uh, why is Peter Cech there then? I mean, he's the mediator between Lamps and the board. Yeah. And, and yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I thought I thought he was our third. I thought he was our third keeper. I, <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> I mean, uh, but talk talk a little bit about Holland, Zach. I mean, because that that has been the one that has interested me the most. Because the other names that you 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 said aren't going to be available until the summer, and then you know the Tuchel. Uh, you said last week you're not sure whether he would accept. Uh, a caretaker role or, you know, n- nothing potentially long-term. Um, but I think, like, you know, more and more I think about it because he has he has uh, Holland ever gotten a chance to really be, like, the number one manager for a team? And I know He's he been was our with, interim manager, but that's it. Uh, yeah, for, yeah. like, two matches, right? Like, mm-hmm. so... But he hasn't been like Which he did win day one, sure. yeah. But like he was never been like day one manager in charge of the no. club, like you know. Yeah. And and he was around Chelsea for so long. Uh, he was what the manager of our reserves, so he has he already has that connection to the club right then and there. And mm-hmm. I mean, I just don't know enough about his coaching style to really make uh like a a, a determination of whether he would be good or not but i think he i think this is a job that he would accept mid-season am i wrong two seconds especially with the euros in question with covid i don't know i mean Um, i think i think that makes his decision even harder than anything my my thing was my thing was this like can chelsea offer him just the interim job and then tell him hey the moment the season ends you can go back to the south gate like is that something that's feasible because that's that's what he would want right I mean, I don't think by any means Steve Hall out here looking for the long-term job. I really don't think so. I think Why he's not? pretty happy being under Southgate. Well, I mean, he, he's been doing this his whole career. I mean, he's been an assistant, essentially, his whole coaching career for the most part. Um, so, yeah, mm. I mean, it is a position he's comfortable in. And, and yes, it, it from his perspective, it is – tempting to take the job from Chelsea because it, it, who wouldn't want the job at a club like Chelsea but on the other hand you look at where England is I mean they're about to embark on a quote-unquote golden generation just like we are in America with our soccer with our soccer talent generation so you know he, he there's a possibility of him le- if there's a possibility of him leaving England he has to think about okay they might enjoy some success while I'm not there that'd be pretty cool to get some you know international silverware under my belt possibly or like a nice world cup run or euro run but on the other hand yeah i mean it's chelsea football club calls you answer 
But I think the thing with with Steve Holland that kind of makes me feel comfortable is the longevity. Um, he's managed to stay at Chelsea through all of those managers. So, I mean, I, just a quick Google search. He was at Chelsea from 2011 uh, to 2017. That, that That's when he was the our, um, our assistant our coach. Assistant. Senior yeah, coach. and that, sh- that so, shows a lot. The head so, coaches came and went, and Chelsea kept Steve Holland. Yeah. He was a just to throw out names, Billis Boas. Conte brought in like 15 coaches, and Steve Holland was still the assistant still manager. Still there. <laughs> and Conte was very adamant on bringing in only Italian dudes. He's like, I'm only going to bring in my Italian homies, and all these English people could fuck <laughs> off. It's going to be my homies, not yours. But Steve Holland could stay. And the same thing. Uh, 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 so Villas Boas brought him in. Di Matteo did the same thing. We all know what happened under Di Matteo. But we, all, we also know how that ended. Um, Rafa Benitez, yeah, that's, not, that's not saying much. Uh, but, he but won the Europa one, League. Come on, the, give him credit, <laughs> Zach. I hate Rafa. But, but, but look, the, the, the big one here is Jose Mourinho. And this is why I feel confident in him. Because Jose Mourinho kept him on even for his coaching staff. Twice, and that's right? the guy who's picky. That's a guy who's picky with who he brings in, just like an Antonio Conte. So in that list that I mentioned, uh, you know, Antonio Conte – Jose Mourinho, if you want to throw Rafa Benitez there on that list, go for it. Top managers that all kept this guy as their assistant for a reason. So that that's where my confidence is in him. And, and you know, you can call it foolish. Yeah, I mean, we haven't heard him get behind a microphone or talk much or, you know, he wasn't, you know, that great of a player or whatever. But, but, but just the fact that this guy has familiarity with the club He's been around with all these different managers. He's won multiple titles under all of these different managers and working with these different managers. Imagine the knowledge and the philosophy that this guy has in his mind from learning, just learning from Conte and Jose Mourinho mm-hmm. alone would make mm-hmm. you a footballing genius. And, 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 and you throw in all these other names. It's, I, 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 I don't see how it could go sour. I know a lot of Chelsea fans will be happy to see that too, just because again, there's that, there's that familiarity there, like blue family. Yeah. And here's another, here's another thing that like probably goes into Steve Holland's consideration. Realistically, how much longer is Gareth Southgate going to be the manager of England? I I mean, in my opinion, I think he's gone after this euros. Uh, If there's, if there's going to be a disappointment with them, which I think there will be, um, he's gone and he's, you know, Southgate is the one who brought Holland in. So, uh, you know, what that what that says about his position, like whether they would want to bring him on as the manager of England, like that, I, I don't know what the, what that, you know, but that, that's definitely something that would go into his consideration because, uh, you know, whether that makes him more likely to accept a Chelsea job or more reluctant, I don't know, but it is something to consider for him and i i would like to see him i, I think that would if, if it's just for a caretaker and we see how it goes like you know but who knows uh let's go on to the next question uh this one's from michael conan he says if frank does go do you think tammy actually plays under a new manager he struggled and you would assume a new manager would want to if not directed to played timo also, the commitment to playing academy products may leave with Frank. Um, 
So that's kind of two different things regarding Tammy and uh, the academy players. Because it is true, like if if they do bring in another manager, it is to get the best out of their big purchase of of Timo, and um, who knows? What do you think, Zach? Um, yeah, I, I, that's a given. Um, I think that's probably one of Frank's pitfalls in the end of the day. At the end of the day, is the fact that we didn't really get to see Timo or Kai play in their preferred positions for you know a run of matches, so they could really get their feet on the ground in the Premier League. Um, but when it comes down to Tammy, it's interesting. I could tell you right now, any new manager that comes in is not going to want to get rid of him. Um, they're definitely going to want to keep him in and around the team sheet because. As of right now, we haven't seen enough from Werner for us to be confident in him going into next season or the future. So having that competition in the squad and a guy like Tammy around who's young and hungry is always going to be a good thing. So I don't think the opportunities are going to be limited to Tammy in the future. Um, you know, if we don't qualify for Champions League or Europa League, then we might have a problem with getting him some time. Um, but if, if we could sneak in, hopefully, please, God, um, <laughs> then then I don't think opportunity will be too far in between. But I think I think the Academy products are the uh that's an interesting one. Um obviously there was there's a huge bias from us from Chelsea fans in general just to get our youth youth academy players through. But I think I think we're at the point where guys like Reese James, guys like Mason Mount, um you know, I would probably say Billy Gilmore as well. I think we could look at those three and say those we could confidently see in the team five to seven years from now. Granted, you know, another team doesn't come calling for them or something unforeseen happens. But there's a lot of question marks around some of these other guys, which is interesting, like Tammy Abraham, um, like Callum hudson Adoy, um, you know, uh, I don't know who else is in there, but uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek even when he comes back from loan. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of opportunities those guys are going to get, um, you know, just based on the fact that, you know, they've had some opportunity under Frank, and it's been spotty here and there. It hasn't been amazing. It hasn't been terrible. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It, 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 it'll all be interesting. I think, I think the second half of this question in terms of the Youth Academy is something that we should talk about if – or when Frank gets sacked. Uh, I want to say that I think that that's overplayed. No, no top tier club is, is churning out four new starters every three seasons. So we benefited from the fact that Chelsea in the time that these guys came through the Academy, Chelsea was the best Academy in world football. And, and we're seeing, we're reaping those rewards right now, but I, I don't see Real Madrid pulling out new stars from their academy. I, I haven't seen Barcelona do that since the Pep days. I, I Okay, again, that's one, though. You named four guys that you're saying. Like, we, we're yeah. lucky that those four guys came out of the same class. Maybe like Sergi Roberto, but he didn't even turn out to be that good. No, exactly. He's not even a guy that Barcelona fans are drooling over. Ansu Fati <laughs> right now is the only guy, and again— if you're not playing next to Messi, is Ansu Fati Ansu Fati? I, I can make that argument. You know, my my point is, our academy. Serginio Dest, come on! I know he's not Barcelona Academy, but still. No, he's, he's not Barcelona Academy. He's had to mention the American. Yes. 
<laughs> he's good. Kalani's Sir, actually Gino Dest was signed. That's my point, though. He was yeah. brought from somewhere yeah. else. Like we can, we can also sign young talent from somewhere else. I mean, we brought in Kai. He's 21 years old. So I think that's a little bit overplayed. I think those guys already earned their spot. I mean, Tammy Abraham, we're talking about how he may not play. The guy has 20 goals in 30 Premier League games. No penalties. Like He's not he's the leading scorer. The point yeah. is, that's, that's a lot of goals in the Premier League. So for mm-hmm. somebody to say, oh, the manager will immediately jump to Timo, I call I call bullshit. I think the new manager will come in and has zero preference because at this point he's an interim manager. He doesn't give a crap who was paid X money to get here. He's going to get results. And if it means playing counterattacking and somehow finding Tammy up top in the air and that works, it's going to be Tammy. Now, if you're telling me it's going to be a long ball and Timo's going to chase after it, much like Lester did before Brendan Rodgers with Vardy, and then so be it. But for someone to say because Tammy played awful today, which he did, he was abysmal, that magically someone's going to just go straight to Timo, I I don't think so, especially midway through the season. Hey, how about Erling Holland? How about Erling Holland though? <laughs> Erling Holland, we sell Timo, bring in Erling Holland. <laughs> I'm kidding. But uh, this next one, uh, this next question is from Ron, aka Bone Daddy Cool, aka Bone Daddy Deluxe, aka Bone Daddy Supreme. He asks, so what was Super Frank's kryptonite? Squad selection, formation, dependent on some players, tactics, and let's say he doesn't get the axe. Can he salvage this? Uh, I, I think I think tactics has got to be number one uh, for me. Uh, and also, just also, like, a lack of uh, adapt adaptation, adaptation, in my opinion. Those are his kryptonite. Yeah. Uh, I want to say that tactics and squad selection go hand in hand. Yeah. Because formation is is – that's just how they've lined up. I mean, you heard – again, I'm using Madison's post-match post conference because I just thought it was – he was very eloquent with how he spoke, but he talked about how in halftime, yeah, we're lined up in a 4-3-3 on the ball, but a 4-4-2 off the ball. So just because they lined up a certain way when the names were drawn up doesn't mean you play that way. So for me, it's squad selection and the tactics that go alongside that. Because again, we had complaints about Mount playing left wing, about Kai not playing at the 10, Timo playing left wing. It's, it's things that just seem square pegs and round holes or whatever the saying is and and for me i think that's the the big one and again tactics go with adaptability so those are the two for me i think uh, there's so much guys (laughs) how am i supposed to pick one um i'm gonna go you know i'm just gonna talk about one how does that sound because i can't pick one i'm gonna talk about squad selection and, and for me, um, you know, we complimented him a lot beginning of the season um, for making the right adjustments in order for us to get a result where we, would, we wouldn't start games off well, but we would make a substitution or just kind of tweak things or he would give him a halftime pep talk and, you know, we, we would come out in the second half, a different team flipped the game on its head, three points, unbeaten in God knows how many matches. It seems so long ago. Everything's fine and dandy, title talk, whatever. But in the end, I think it ultimately hurt us more than anything because we never, he never got a chance to figure out what his best starting 11 ever was. Um, 
because he had a chance. Whatever starting eleven we always started with was the wrong one, and every week we would, you know, predict the lineups and say, you know, uh, this player should be playing here. We would all agree on one generic lineup that would have ten players we would agree on. Like we would disagree on, you know, one midfielder. Um, and the lineup we see the next week that Frank puts out is completely different, and they don't put in the performance. We see Timo Werner at left wing. We see, um, you know, Kovacic at the base. Jorginho in general. Yeah, Jorginho <laughs> in general. But don't you say know, he's, he hasn't had like, a chance, like Zach. All of a sudden, he's, he's had you know, his chance. Rudiger we... has a half-decent game against 10 men and gets another start against League Lead. Like, you know, it, it's it's these kind of things um, – that 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 ultimately affect the squad and and you could even pinpoint this issue as being an issue from last season um where we didn't know what our best center back pairing was ever and we started the season with Fikayo and and with Fick and, and Zuma and they had a run of games amazing similar start to this season x amount of matches unbeaten all everything's rainbows and unicorns everything's great and then all of a sudden we start losing matches and results stop going our way and things are constantly chopped and changed and there's no um, there's just no idea of what our best 11 players are. And it ties into what I was saying earlier in the podcast that kind of got me teed off in the first place. Teams have things that they can rely on. They have players that they could rely on. Formations, tactics, certain runs... Um, patterns of play, things like that, those can't be established with a different 11 every week or, you know, a different person starting at the left wing every week, a different striker every week, a different base every week. Yeah, at the and, and the only time we ever saw certain consistency was when the back five was established earlier this season. That's the one bit where we were like, oh, our defense looks good. Well, like, what's the word on Zuma, though? Like, Rudiger has one <laughs> one half-decent game against 10 men, and then all of a sudden he gets a start at Leicester. Like, I get it. You know, Rudiger's good enough to put in a performance against Leicester. I remember he scored a double against them last season. I didn't forget that, guys. But what did he do this season to earn a start against Leicester? Because there might Leicester be some injury, season, like, we don't know about. Leicester of this season is top of the table. But, 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 but like, but that's... That's my thing. Matches like this, this is when you're like, I'm going to put together my best 11, regardless. I don't care what the fuck they put in front of me. My best 11 is going to go out on the pitch. And we have plan A, B, and C that we can lean on. If they score, we have a plan. If it's nil-nil at the break, we have a plan. If we're up by a goal, we have a plan. But with this, there's just no plan. And and for me, that kind of goes down to the whole squad selection thing. Because when things get really sour, you can at least rely on the squad selection to kind of just 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 to get you a result, like to just sort of do you as a do you a favor as a manager. We saw so many Mourinho teams do that after shit performances. We just mm -hmm. squeak out a one one or a one nil when we really didn't deserve it. All right, let's move on. Uh, this isn't really a question, but it's a more of a comment. Oh. What was, what was that? Um, this one, this comes from uh, Austin Blues. Uh, Shout out Austin Blues. Yeah, those are uh, Andreas's homies. Uh, he says, difficult times in any scenario this season. Frank is green, as we all know. It's a collective effort, our form and attitude, that is. 
I'm patient. Probably like most of the lads who used to stand in the shed. Lutton should be epic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Epic's he, a good word. He loves Lutton. He loves bringing up the fact that we're playing Lutton City. I, I don't know why. It, it, this must be like an inside joke. It's a historic. Like, it's not a yeah, there's history there. It's a town. It's a town. I know. I understand. Lutton Town yeah. is a town. I'm just saying. There must be like some reference <laughs> that I don't get in uh, in, in England. You know, but they, yeah. They're, are they a historic team? Yeah. No. No? Okay. So. Well, there, there has to be some inside joke that I'm missing here, but uh, we actually. I mean, in sure... a... What? No, go for it. It's another good joke. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna save you all. I'm gonna save you all. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I looked it up here head-to-head -head record. They, Luttons has lost 17 times to Chelsea, drawn 12 and won 14. So if you ask me, wow. this is an pretty good rivalry. Historic. Yeah, that's a straight-up rivalry. Holy oh, shit! Shit! Wow. That's a what? <laughs> That is we're a really we're yeah, really aging ourselves here because <laughs> <laughs> watch watch Lutton be the reason Lampard loses his job. What, when was this, Andres? Oh God, you're asking too much of me. Let me see. <laughs> Go on, keep talking. Yeah. I'll okay, fight. so it sounds like it was a long time ago. This is our first ever email question. I got, got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. What? So, oh. our last five league matches against Lutton took place between 1986 and 1991. So they were in a Premier League from 80s from wow, actually, they Whoa. were a mainstay in the Premier League from 1974 in the first <laughs> division in England from 74 all the way to 91. So almost 20 years. So I apologize, Lutton Town. Uh... That was uh, very disrespectful for us to not acknowledge your existence. So, I, I think apologies. it's just one of those like nostalgic matches. No, for... I mean I'm looking at it over here. So I look at all the things. So there was a point between '59 and '74 where they lost five straight to Chelsea, but then after that, they've had some good success, only losing a handful. So, yeah. Empire. Yeah. Okay. We so let. We... <laughs> Can we stop talking go, about Lutton Town? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But going back to this email question, this is the first ever question we've ever received via email, and this comes from Tom Ashdown. Uh, he is a longtime listener. He says, uh, and he doesn't have a Twitter, so that's why he emailed us. Uh, he says, "Hi guys, I listen to the podcast every week. I'm a big fan of it." Thanks, Tom. That's awesome. I was a season ticket holder at the bridge for 23 years. I am 33, but moved out to Southern California two years ago, and I've missed it massively, despite COVID not allowing fans anyway. I wondered what your thoughts are on Aspilicueta's impact against smaller teams when we're trying to break them down. I love the guy, but his delivery just isn't good enough. He must receive, he must receive the ball 150 times per game. Another reason is why uh, enough sorry another question is why do the majority of american chelsea fans not rate mason mount he's our best player and who better to judge than the greatest midfielder in our history super frank anyways thanks and look forward to hearing your thoughts perhaps on this week's podcast yeah tom you're here we are on the next <laughs> on this week's podcast I'm just going to throw this out there to, to all of our listeners. Like, I put our email at the end of our podcast, or at least try. 
uh, almost every week. And this is the first time we finally had someone email us back. <laughs> but this is exactly like the kind of stuff I like hearing. I like to know where my listeners are from, but I also like to know a little bit about them, you know, how they became Chelsea fans. Just a little like this is this is just fucking awesome. It's a lot better than a uh, how many characters does twitter allow you to get 150 yeah 250 this is way better than a 250 character tweet so <laughs> if you want to ask us a question um fucking email us like these are these these are great but huge shout out to tom and um before we actually answer the question um tom when things open back up here in southern california um we definitely uh need to get you uh at the stalking horse love to have a beer with you just like we did with ron or i did it with ron so i never got the chance to do it yeah um rub it in it rub it in zach jeez yeah. well you're you're <laughs> gonna fly down here too zondres we'll yeah. make a we'll make a meetup pandemic and we'll make it a thing but uh, i i do want to answer this question because i uh-huh. like the two i think so i agree with with tom on the on the aspliquetta thing i think aspie serves better when we need to be on our heels more so than on the front foot, meaning we're going to be facing, you know, wingers that are going to be pushing deep and we need a guy that's good on one-on-one defending, you know, the likes of the Man City's Liverpool's that sort of match. I think if we're going to be playing counterattacking football, you want to have Aspie there because matches like today where Reese can get caught up the pitch or, or slightly ball watching. Those are things that a veteran like Aspie, uh, will not be overlooking, and he'll make sure he's in the right position. I, I don't see the big benefit, or at least if he is going to be on the pitch, don't shoot him up the flanks and make him cross the ball. He's far better at that early cross that's almost diagonal rather than the one that's uh, straight kind of across. Yeah, yeah flat. Um, now, for, for the Mason Mount question, I want to say that and and Zach and Sam, you guys can stop me or if I'm offending you as Americans, <laughs> let me know. But I think Americans overall kind of get stuck on the way American sports work. You have your lots your touchdown passes, your touchdown catches, how many points a player scores per game, how many mm-hmm. rebounds a player gets per game. And that's what makes an all-star. It's the guy that scores the points, the guy that's getting the blocks, the guy that's getting a specific stat line. That's what makes the Jersey sellers. And that's how it's been in the States for X amount of years, home runs, stolen bases, runs, RBIs, et cetera. Uh, You can put that across any American sport. Now with soccer being a a new trend here in the States, I think that play people are still adapting to the fact that soccer is not about, it's not always about the statistics because if that's the case, then a player like, Andres Iniesta is not a legendary soccer player. So I don't think that I think that people that are not rating Mason Mount are probably newer fans compared to those that see what work Mason Mount is doing. In soccer, you need to have a guy that's going to cover for the luxury player to allow that luxury player to get all the goals and assists because that player is probably not tracking back. He's not getting as far back into the pitch to to then make it, to carry the ball with him from his own box to the other. Uh, you know, for example, I think Ancelotti 
talked a lot about how hard it was to to accommodate for Cristiano Ronaldo because he never tracked back. And it's players like a Mason Mount. In, in that case, I think it was Di Maria that had to do a lot more defensive work that allowed the superstar to get his goals. So that's why I think you feel that American fans don't rate Mason Mount. And I think it's more of the recent American fans. Hey, I have, I have a different perspective of this and I want to answer this because I can't really answer the Dave question. I don't have the tactical expertise and then I'll just let Zach answer both. But my perspective, (laughs) I don't think that it's American fans don't rate Mason Mount. I think we do rate Mason Mount, but I just think that England Chelsea fans, uh, I guess to put it nicely, uh, they really like him a lot. They have a <laughs> affinity for him, and in, in a not so nice way, they're on his dick real hard. <laughs> so they are Mason Mount <laughs> apologists. They're Mason Mount apologists, and you know they 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 definitely overhype him and overrate him, in my opinion. And I I love Mason Mount. I, he's been I mean even on this podcast like Zach is like Mason Mount's Mason biggest Mount. fan and I yeah. I always agree with him I, I I love Mason Mount but I think that English Chelsea fans overrate him a little bit in my opinion am I is that, am I wrong like 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 it's it's like it's like how English fans view Pulisic like we we love Pulisic, and I think, in my opinion, like I, 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 I like him. Pulisic. No, I it's mean. it's still the same. It's still the same. I think like if you ask an American Chelsea fan, who do you like more, Christian Pulisic or Mason Mount? Most of them will say Christian Pulisic. I that's my answer. And then if you ask an English fan, who do you like more between the two? They'll say Mason Mount. And I think that has to do with a little bit of a bias. And it's not right. It's not wrong. That's just how it is. I think. I mean, am I am I wrong by saying, is is that is that like a radical opinion? Is that like problematic to say? I don't know. <laughs> is it? Uh, <laughs> Answer me. I'm asking you guys. What is it? Is that an okay? I think. Opinion to have? I think that. I think that there is a sect of Chelsea fans that do that, but at the same time. I don't know if it's only English because I feel like across some some kind of cut out at the very end there. Oh, I know. I I didn't say. I I was just saying. Do I do you agree with me? Yeah, Um, Andreas. Go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna say like there is the annoying fans that are just gonna say that he's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and every fan group is gonna have somebody that's gonna be that way with certain players, but. It is incredible that every coach out there speaks about Mason Mount in like the highest regards. Like I, I've never heard a coach that's worked with him or that has played against them say anything bad about the guy. So the guy, the, the kid is good. The kid is good. And like I said, I think, I think part of the issue is that he's had to wear so many hats that we haven't been able to see the full ceiling of Mason Mount. And and maybe that's why we. Perhaps it feels like, I guess, that Americans don't see it at that level. But it's still the first Mount, team on our team sheet, I think, at, at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, but take, it, take it to another level. Mason Mount is, is allowing 
Southgate to run this weird three five two or yeah three five two, and he's running a double pivot because he's doing all this hard work off the ball. So mm-hmm. it's it's just one of those things where again, it's I think it goes back to what I was trying to say that historically we we look at as Americans look at the players that are the ones that are getting on the stat sheet as the great players, and I think that's just because that's how American sports are are versus football. Yeah, they're, not, just, they're not sitting through a full 90 minutes. They're watching the highlights of the goals. And those, those are the yeah, players exactly. you see, the ones yeah, who are exactly. scoring. You look, I mean, you look at the, the quote-unquote box score, and, and soccer doesn't translate that way because we're not scoring 35 points a game in the fo- like American football or 80-something points a game like basketball. And, and so I think it's just a, it's lost in translation for new soccer fans. Yeah, I think I think it's a bit of that. Um. I mean, for me, I, I I like Mason Mount for the same reason why all the English fans like him because I think he is the best thing since sliced bread for our midfield, <laughs> like low key. Um, but to kind of touch on the American point, um, yeah, Andres, I kind I agree with you, man. I I I never really took, I never really looked at it from that perspective of American sports are very. St- stats oriented stats based the players with stats get the accolades they get the girls they get the contracts they get the cars they get the shoe deals you name it you don't really see the blue collar um you know type of player or teammate get the same type of clout that they get in soccer like mason mount is as blue collar as they get he's the hardest worker in our squad um yet he's getting adoration from you know some sector of our fan base that just happens to be British. And I mean, but that's the thing, like soccer, there's 11 players on the pitch. So there's really not enough stats to go around. There's only two or three goals scored a game. If that maybe there's an assist, Um, but you're really not looking at the stats and saying, Oh, here's your man of the match. You're more looking at it. Okay. Well, who, who influenced the game the most? And that's the guy that you're mainly looking at. And, and I think when you look at Mason Mountain, you look the way we play. I look at all of our, our wins and all of our good performances, and that just kind of tells you everything you need to know about Mason Mountain. Because in all of those matches, he's pretty much the man of the match every single time, except for one, I could think Ziyech. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the reason why, why the British you know section of Chelsea fans absolutely love him. But maybe the American fans aren't as high as him as Pulisic, for example, because when Pulisic plays for the United States, he's scoring goals, he's creating assists, you know, he's putting up numbers. His name's always on the score sheet or, you know, on he's man of the match or he has an assist. And he's just a flashier attacking player. And I think American sporting culture tends to celebrate that type of player more than the blue collar you know roll up your sleeves do the hard yards the glue of the team type of players but yeah um that's that's an interesting question though because i i've never really looked at it from that perspective because initially when i first heard the question i'm thinking um you know because we hate mason mount because pulisic is american and mason mount isn't like one plus one is two, right? Um, but we, yeah, when you look a little bit deeper, we do tend to celebrate the stats more than you know um, 
to sports over in Europe more specifically, but in other parts of the world in general. I love Mason I, Mount so much. I me really too, do. Man. I told you, like, future I hope, captain. Like, I hope I hope Tom realizes that. Like, I don't know how else I can say it, but like, I really do love him. He's one of our own, and he's just you know he always all be. He's, yeah, he's 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 the one. He's, you don't get the feeling that he's gonna dip and go to fucking Arsenal one day, or <laughs> you know, like who knows? But yeah, I, like the thing is, like it's like every single match, there's always a handful of players that I'm really disappointed in, and rarely is it ever Mason Mount. Rarely, yeah, he's done it once or twice, but he normally gives out at least a seven out of ten shift. He does. He does I the bare him. minimum, Mason Mount. It, it all goes and back some. to basics. Yeah, I mean, if you if if you try hard and you work really hard and you give us your all, and it looks like you're giving us your all, then it doesn't matter, you know, ultimately what the result is. I just want a group of players out there that look like they're trying really, really hard, and I feel like Mason Mount gives us that every single week, and performances like this week, um are basically the reason of, you know it, it, it's the stem of our anger as Chelsea fans but yeah anyways I think that's enough talking more specifically for me venting for venting that, that, that was that was really helpful for me honestly <laughs> therapeutic yeah it was very therapeutic I needed that and I don't think we were too uh like harsh yeah I don't think we were too harsh I think we were pretty rational and uh, yeah. well thought out in our criticisms with Frank, so yeah, we'll we'll probably we won't please everyone. I know for sure. What what's his name? Our hater, um, uh, Russell Saunders. <laughs> well, Russell Saunders for sure. But the Russell one from Saunders reached Barbados. out. Russell Saunders sent us a gif when you asked uh, who will coach us next. Song. I know. He was, I saw, like, very I, facetious. I know. I didn't respond to that. I wanted to, but I, it was too late. He's probably asleep. It's but it's then a good was, idea not. It's a good idea not to because Russell's Russell's one of those OG Chelsea fans where, you know, like I, I really respect I really respect like how die hard he is. And that's why I didn't get that's why I actually didn't reply to him. I was cool with what he said on Twitter. Or the yeah, that's funny, he's funny. Kind of well, like but, insinuating that we're crazy for thinking about that, but at the same time it's like, come on. He's Russell, joking with us, know? of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also a week ago, the guy's name he, it's Rico. At the real RCB twenty four, yeah. remember him? He yeah. was he was our original hater, and then we converted mm -hmm. him, and then he tweeted <laughs> he tweeted us a week ago, and I didn't see it. I just saw it today. He said, "I just listened to the last two or three shows, and I'm here to say it is not good for me health. <laughs> Some of you guys takes is just <laughs> ah, just ticks me off." <laughs> I love that man. I love yeah, that. I hope, that's, I, hope that's... I hope he listens. I hope he listens to this in like two weeks, and then he's like, he hears us. But he probably wouldn't make no, it listen, this far. This was this was very measured, and, and 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 I'm glad that we got to start the podcast with Kirill's little thing because it kind of set the tone. But anyways, um, who knows what's gonna happen next week? Normally, I say something along the lines of hopefully we get three more points and blah blah blah, but. I think we're going to get the three points, but um, I don't know who's going to be responsible for it. So until next week, keep the blue flag flying high. And then for those of you that aren't following us, uh, at Roman's Empire Pod, both on Twitter 
um, and Instagram, and then also via email, just like Tom Ashdown. Huge shout out to Tom, uh, RomansEmpirePod at gmail.com. So yeah, until next week, we'll see you guys later.